And a very good morning and welcome to this week's edition of the Football Digest podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. And as usual, the gang's all here. Um, so I'm pleased and delighted to be joined by my colleague Andy Dunn, Chief Sports Writer of the Daily Mirror, Jeremy Cross, Chief Sports Writer of the Daily Star, and Matt Dunn, uh, Football Aficionado of the Daily Express. Good morning, guys. Nice to see you all. And um, what a week it's been. Breaking news. Just in case you've missed it, we've got new champions of England. What a fantastic, fantastic achievement and sort of season that Manchester City have had under Pep Guardiola. The comeback kings, I think, was the headline in the Daily Mirror this week. And what, what a story it's been. And actually, some really interesting headlines, which... I'll ask um, Jeremy about particularly, I think, but sort of kind of moving forward, you know, where do they, where do they go from here? Because, I mean, it, 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 you know, if you read that right, they're planning a, a dynasty. Yes, I know they planned it after the last title success and it didn't work out like that, but maybe you learn lessons and get even stronger. Um, they certainly seem unstoppable right now. We'll be having a look at my favourite, yes, the FA Cup final. I love the FA Cup. <laughs> I didn't know. Um, the race for the top four is back on, I think. Um, Chelsea Arsenal that was a bit of a strange game last night wasn't it and and also obviously Man United Liverpool and all that entails tonight but look let's start really with with the Etihad um, you know and and uh, I, I mean it was it was inevitable wasn't it it feels like they were crown champions weeks ago months ago you could argue frankly um, but they have been magnificent this week finally it was official uh, Andy, how do you how do you sum up their achievement? Because they've been, you know, the the only consistent team, I would argue, in a yeah. season a season of complete turbulence and uh, uh, you, you know um, very very unprecedented times, obviously. And 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 frankly, that doesn't that make their achievement even greater. Yeah, yeah. It's funny you say that, that, that. You know, it feels like they've been champions for weeks. It does when you've been writing a piece saying how great they are for weeks, waiting for them to win the title. So I think we all. We all wrote it ahead of, I don't know, of United City home to Chelsea, Liverpool when they were supposed to play at United, and finally they got over the line on on um, on Tuesday, courtesy of um, of Leicester's win. Um, when you say uh, you know an even greater achievement, then then yeah, I think it's certainly different, you know, because it's certainly it is a unique season, you know, the very nature. Of the season, don't forget City haven't played in front of any home fans. You know, least a couple of clubs had a had a few fans in for a brief period of period of time. But what's remarkable about it, you know, is the fact that headline you said comeback kings is the fact that after you know after eight ten games, you know, I, I was there when they were beaten at home by Leicester when Leicester scored five, and you know, you, we were all writing about how. Um, you know, was it coming to some sort of, well, not an end, but a, a, a hangover from the season before when they were 18 points behind Liverpool? And I don't think anyone, I mean, it's it's wise after the event to say, oh, you know, rumours, uh, sort of suggestions of their crisis were massively overblown. But I don't think anyone at that time would have envisioned them going on a run of games, of winning games for so long and would have envisioned them winning the title in a canter, which is what they did. So that's why it's it's remarkable. And the other remarkable um, aspect of it is the way it's been won, the way he plays. You know, mm. this idea of not having a conventional striker, Jesus plays now and again, Aguero hasn't really featured at all. It's just astonishing. You know, I, I mean, you know, their the top goal scorer in the Premier League 
is I'm not even sure he's in the top ten. I think I think Gundogan must be City's top scorer in the Premier League with twelve goals, twelve mm-hmm. goals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and and as I say, I, I might just about make the top ten, but only just. And that's a remarkable way of playing. You know, when you think about it, we think of City as the as the great entertainers. Yet, you, you know, they're playing without a an out now conventional striker for most of the time, and that's what makes it remarkable. It, it's just you know, it's a fantastic. Do you like game. it, Andy? Yes, like I love it. Yes, yeah, I yeah. like it because you know it's innovative, um, which is what Pep Guardiola is. You know, we liked it when Cancelo, for example, pops up in midfield all the time. We like the innovation. We really do. You know, it went a little bit too far last week when they got beat by Chelsea and essentially played. Well, there's one midfielder on the pitch as far as you know you can see, and one genuine midfielder. Um, and you know, I like that innovation. It makes it interesting. It makes it intriguing. And they're still, and, and, and as I said in a piece this week, you know, the bottom line is, is that they are still the hottest ticket in town to watch play football. They still play great football and they still entertain. They still score goals. They still play the right way. And listen, I'm sure we'll go on to talk about the dynasty and what they put into making that dynasty, which is a huge financial advantage over most clubs. But, you know, purely from a basis of watching them play football, it's, it's lovely to watch. Yeah, I'm going to take issue with that in a minute. I'm yes. really, I'm going to take well, they don't spend any money. We'll come on to that. We will come on to that. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, sorry. Sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll come on to that. Get ready, Andy. Get ready. Yeah. Well, I'll get, um, I'll get, I'll yeah. get ready to you suggesting that, 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 that you know what? I really first want much. to pay tribute. And so, Jeremy, what, has been, what, was, what was the turning point? What was your favourite City game? You've covered them a lot this season. What, 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 what were both of those? Let me put you on the spot. There was a period around November. I think they went to Tottenham, didn't they, and lost at Tottenham. Mm. Yes. And um, that was a jolt. I mean, obviously, Pep hates losing, but he hates losing to Jose even more. So I think that might have been one of the turning points. Um I think there was a bit of a, a player meeting after that game. Fernandinho, uh, you know, opened up with a few home truths and let, let a few of his teammates have it. So he's actually, we sort of talk about, I know Dunny's talked about certain players there and, you know, there are obvious headline grabbers, but the Fernandinho has actually been the glue that's mm. stuck them all together this season. He's not played every game, but he's, he's 36 now, so... We'll probably leave at the end of this season, but he's been one of the driving force. I think his his pep talk, pardon the pun, um, was one of those. And then obviously Guardiola signed his new contract, um, which ended all doubts about his commitment. Um, there was a good piece in the Times actually yesterday, um, a backgrounder on 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 the season. Pep suddenly went to the Maldives with his. Um, family and met Caldoom, the chairman's family, and had a nice break there. And um, spent the first eight, spent the first eight parts of that piece telling us about how a push bike was the yeah. secret of his title-winning success. No, I, I, actually, I tell you what, I, I do actually think that Paul Hurst's background pieces are, are, you know, are really, really nice. I'm, I'm saying that slightly too yeah, so, but it, um, it was quite amusing. It was eight piles in until they mentioned the title. Yeah. <laughs> no, so I think Spet signing a new contract, that was, that was a real mm. lift for everyone, especially the players, because they know then that he's going to be around for a few more years. And then they've just driven on then. I don't know. I couldn't pick a favourite game, really, because there's been so many. You know, every time you turn up, like Gunny says at City, you know, mm. you've got the hottest ticket at the weekend. Mm. 
you know you're going to be entertained. You know you're going to see great football. They've not scored as many goals this season. I think they've scored. I've got it's 72. Yeah, 72. So, so, you know, I think eight is the lowest total I've had in Pep's reign, and that was in his first season. So he won't be he won't be too chuffed with that total. But, you know, I think I'm sure we'll go on to talk about what they need to do to, to, to stay at the top. But I think signing a number nine will be his priority this summer. So... Yeah. I'd, be, I'd be very shocked if he doesn't sign someone of the likes of Kane or maybe Haaland, maybe depending on the price. So, but no, they've been wonderful. Dunny's spot on. What everything he's summed up there. I mean, they are, they are deserving champions, and they are one of the greatest teams I think we'll ever see on the on these shows. Mm. Yeah, Matt. Um, the what, what do you what do you take away from from City this season? And I was going to ask you also, how does this team compare to the back to back title winning teams? of what a couple of years ago I think you can I mean what was impressive about the City teams of a couple of years ago is that when they were pushed all the way by Liverpool they responded every time and I think in this world now where an assist is almost seen as important as a goal I think a lot of credit for titles uh, for City's title has to go for the fact that Liverpool couldn't win at Anfield for four months after Christmas there was no pressure on this City team so it kind of makes it an open goal for them, which, which perhaps detracts from their ability. So I don't think we know how good this City team are because I don't think they've been pushed enough. Um, I think they've certainly got potential. I think Foden, another season of Foden, will, will escalate that as well. And, and it's what they can be. And again, we we're talking about, you know, in terms of a, a legacy and a dynasty, then I'm, I'm intrigued to see what next season's City team is because as much as it's fun to watch... A, a different way of playing the game without a number nine. Yeah, the goal record, the total goal record alone shows that playing with a striker gets you more goals. So a proper number nine there uh, and Foden a year older, a couple of other, oh, those other players, uh, you know, developing a little bit. Uh, and I think City's best team could be the one next season. Hmm. Yeah. A- Andy, I'm going to go back to you about the money. Oh, yes, please do. I'll tell you for why. I basically, I, 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 just take an issue is that basically all, all these tributes and all these sort of kind of things from journalists saying, you know, why can't we separate the two things? Enjoy the success, but what about the money? You know, you can appreciate both. And they've basically, I mean, the underlying, I think, message is it's, it's, it's you know, they've basically bought the title. And I'll tell you why I think that's wrong and unfair is that I think Guardiola is genuinely a managerial genius. He is arguably the best you know, manager in, in the mm. Premier League era. I think he's absolutely sensational. The teams are amazing to watch. And forgive me, but in the celebrations of Liverpool winning the title last season, when was it raised about them signing the world's most expensive goalkeeper? When was it raised about them signing the world's most expensive centre-half? When was it raised about their wage bill, which, you know, is, is astronomical? Uh, don't begrudge Liverpool about that at all. Absolutely not. Not a penny. Because I think they were a brilliant football club and they were brilliant last season. But I didn't let, um, you know, the, the sort of their spending get in the way of celebrating their magnificent achievements. So why, why do we do it so much more so in Man City? I do not understand. Sorry, explain. It, it, it's because they're, it's because they're the biggest spenders. I mean, it, it's it's quite simple. It's because they spend the most money. It is because they stockpile players 
you know, and expensive players for fun. We, we, we know that. You know, they, they stopped by Nathan Ake, 40 million quid. Ruben Diaz, 50 odd. They've thrown money at centre half. They spent more on centre half than most clubs have spent on, on their entire squads in recent seasons. That's why we do it. But I don't think it's taken it away. It's just, you can mention the fact that this is this this is a club that is hugely well funded. You know, they, they, they you're not saying money is no object. And they haven't spent that sort of fee that you mentioned for. Um, Van Dijk, you know, that 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 fee hasn't. They just happen to have spent an awful lot of 50, 60 million pounds on players and will do so again. They have that luxury of being able to do that. They have the luxury of the Nathan Ake. They have the luxury of going out and, and, and say, buying centre-halves for 50-odd million pounds and maybe they don't work out. So, you know, I, I don't think it's, it's detracting from it. You have to say that he's done, you know, the style of football he plays and the results that he gets... Is you know he uses his money well. He listen. He'd be the first to tell you, as he has done. Probably sarcastically on a couple of occasions, said mm. that it's very important the money. Of course it is. Same as it was at Bayern Munich when when he was successful winning the domestic trophies there. The same as it was at Barcelona when he was successful. He doesn't. You know he's he's not he's not reinventing the wheel in that in that sense. Mm. Is the big money on players spend a crew acquire a lot of players, a lot of very good players. And then get the best out of them. It's just, you know, it's normal practice for a big, big club. And it's a big, big financial club. You know, I, I just don't, I think you're allowed to mention it because, well, because it's fine. The thing is, as well, John, it doesn't distract from Pep Guardiola. Um, he's not the best manager in the world because he's at the richest club. He's at the richest club because he's the best manager in the world. Let's get it right. The reason he's city manager is because they identified him as the best coach. Yeah. You put the two, it's like Formula One, isn't it? Lewis Hamilton in the best team. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's how it works. Uh, and yeah, yeah but this is maybe this is maybe a media thing, Dunny. Maybe this is yeah. a media thing. You've got to remember, Crossy. I, I just feel, I just feel that I don't I don't like some of the the, the fallout from it. I think it, it's it's a result of the fact that they've spent big money for more than ten years now since Sheikh yeah. Mansour yeah. bought the club in two thousand and eight. The first thing he did was sign Rabinho from Real Madrid. Yeah. And that was like an earth-shattering transfer at the time. It was huge money. And that was the marker. And ever since then, for 13 years, they've, they've just they've not gone massive in terms of one big signing, like you know, like they may have to do this summer with Haaland. It might cost 130, 140 million. Like Dunny said, they've stockpiled yeah. 50, 60 million pound players. Their record signing is Ruben Diaz. Mm. And he's a defender. And he costs mm. just over 60 million. They're not they don't go in the 90s. 80s, 90s, like Man U did for Pogba, but they've got such a vast quantity of them. They wouldn't players. even go for Maguire, would they? They wouldn't go to Maguire. No, they were, well, they no. claimed that they wouldn't go 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 to 80 million. Obviously, so he went to United. But so they stockpiled yeah. a lot of those good players. That I mean, 50, 60 million and, pounds. But you look at the I, spending, guys. You look at the spending charts this week. I think it's really interesting. You know, you know, the the obvious targets are up there. Of course, they are. But they're similar. I mean, Arsenal, yeah. I have to say, Arsenal, I think, are fourth. Yeah. I mean, just yeah. look at They're serious underachievement, guys. Yeah. And what I'm trying to what? say is you don't, you cannot, and they never have been able to buy the title. You know, I, I basically think no. that it, obviously it helps, but you can't. Well, and you've I got to, there's a, there's a skill to signing players and, sure. and there's an even bigger skill to getting them playing in a team. Yeah. I mean, look at Man United. They've spent loads of money since Fergie retired yeah. in 2013. They've not even come close to winning the title. No, absolutely. They've made some massive, massive signings. They've probably spent more money than City. If That's I, right. Yeah. Yeah. But, 
So, and they, they, you know, so you've got to mould a team, and that's the mm. that's the genius of yeah, mould the team, Absolutely. you know, coach the team, and they've signed good players. What I would like to see personally, and, and this is only from you know, this doesn't have to happen, you know, to make City, um, you know, a more widely loved club. It doesn't have to happen, but I would like to see, you know, I mean, we've only got really Phil Foden coming through the ranks, you know, and if you think, if you go and look at the Etihad campus, and we've all had the tours around the Etihad campus, we've all seen the facilities there, we all know how much they invest brilliantly in their academy and youth system, you know, wouldn't it be great to see, you know, maybe a few more, you know, I, I mean, across across the way at Manchester, you see more evidence of, of youngsters coming through to be mm-hmm. to play for the first team than you do at um, at Manchester City, you know, Foden is obviously, you know, the shining light, but he's the only light really at the moment. And wouldn't you like to see Guardiola bring more of those through? As I say, it doesn't have to, it doesn't detract from, from the way they play, but it would just be good, I think, if, if you know, if we saw if we saw more following the footsteps of Phil the Foden. Yeah. And not just going out and buying, you know, a 50 million, 40 million pound player to be a squad player. You know, that's the thing. You, they, are, they are paying 40 million pounds on them. On the, I go back to on the likes of Nathan Ake, to be a squad player, you know, and then, and, and, and then that's that a great privilege because, to have because that's that's set side. You're right; it would be great to see three or four young youngsters come through the ranks. Yes. But you have to that their, their level of of quality is so good. Mm. You have to be as good as Foden to get into that team. Exactly. And we all know yes. Foden is a one-off. Exactly. He's gonna, yeah. he's gonna be and Foden had to wait, by the way. Yeah. Foden, and Foden had to wait. Start, and, 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 you know, you know such a long time. don't forget, we're all, we're all, we are all rewriting that narrative, aren't we? You know, I'm sure we're all guilty of saying, like, like, you know, why isn't he playing Foden more? Why, and now, you know, this, and, and this is typical rewriting history. You know, why isn't he playing Foden anymore? Foden should go on loan, get some first-team football. Yeah, crossing right. Like Look at all the kids at his age on here. And now it's... I never wrote that. Wasn't this a work of genius, the way Guardiola's handled Phil Foden? <laughs> I mean, it's hilarious. I mean, I'm, it's, it's you know, I, I think we should also mention that, like, you know, some of these players, a lot of these players, I mean, how much credit they deserve. You know, I mean, Pep is, a, is you know, obviously a very good coach, but, you know, it's a, he doesn't always get the best out of players. You know, I mean, I, I, I think, for example, John Stones' re-emergence has everything to do with John Stones. I'm not so much with Pep Guardiola because I, I think I think Pep lost faith in him. I think Pep played him in a way that made Stones lose confidence. Yeah, he showed enough resilience to get back and force Pep's hand. So yeah. I don't think you know we should go overboard in that. I think a lot of these individual players, and don't forget they've got to cope as well with maybe not being in the side every week. You know, mm. most of them. You know, and but that's another skill of Guardiola and City. How do you keep someone happy who's a top-class, expensive football, let's say someone like a Laporte or a Sterling, how do you keep them happy when they're not in the first series alone? Yeah, that's, no, that's, just, that's, that's, the, that's the challenge going forward. Well, he's got a big challenge on his hands with maybe Ryan Sterling. Week, but, um, absolutely. That, but. Well, probably helps, doesn't it? But Jeremy, I am, you know, I want to come to you next to just on, because you've written, you know, this morning um, just about where they go next, you know, and, and, and what happens next. Uh, 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 the risk of saying to you how much money they're going to spend um, and starting another route. But uh, what, what, what happens next and how do they build on that? How do they extend the, 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 the legacy? <laughs> Because you know you've got some really interesting insight, I felt. Yeah, look, it's it's it's, it's interesting to see what will happen in the summer. Um, you know, it was it was I was curious to see that there was a there was a social media posting from Shakeman. So you very rarely hear from him; you never see him at games. Um, but he put posted a message of congratulations. But there was just a throwaway line at the end of the message, which basically said, 
let's hope this is the start of many more trophies, which just made me think this guy wants, he's never satisfied like Pep. You know, Pep will never be, even if he wins the Champions League um, in a few weeks' time and it's another treble, that that will be him done and he will start thinking about next season. He'll want to win four more trophies next season. Um, so, look, I, I think they, they obviously have to replace Aguero. You know, they've had plenty of time to think about that now. Um He'll uh, be a, it'll be huge boots to fill. Obviously, because he's their record goal scorer, and he's been one of the great, true greats of the Premier League. Um, and you know, I mentioned Fernandinho earlier. It looks like his time's coming to an end. Um, so they need to replace those two players. And then, mm. you know, I don't think they'll sign four or five players. I think they'll sign two really good quality players. Mm. I think I think he wants Haaland. I mean, I, I don't think there's any secret to that. He wants to sign her Haaland. Um, and, you know, putting him in that team would be a frightening prospect, really, for, for other teams, because we all know how good he is and how many goals he scores. So I just think it'll all boil down to how much, if they can get a deal done with Dortmund, because, you know, they're notoriously difficult to deal with. Yeah. Um, as you I know, think they might sell this summer, though, don't you? Because of the clause that kicks in next summer. Yeah, I think that if someone's going to pay, is willing to pay over a hundred million, I think they've got, they've got to snatch their hands off, haven't they? Because mm. we all know how COVID and the impact of that has had on the transfer market. So it'll be interesting to see. But they don't need. I mean, look, they, <laughs> you can't really improve that side, really, because mm. they've just they've just steamrolled everyone this season. And they don't have a weakness, really. When you look at them, yeah. I go and sit and watch them sometimes. I'm just thinking, where's the weakness in this team? They don't have yeah. it. Um, but, but, but at that elite level, you've got to keep evolving, haven't you? You've got to yeah. keep... I mean, look at Liverpool this season. That, that they that they won the title last year and you expected them to kick on and they've gone backwards. And they're just... You can't stand still at that level. So... And Pep's just, you know, relentless with his um, appetite for trophies. So he will, he will, he will be looking no. already at bringing no. in two or, two or three top quality players. Yeah, yeah. that's really interesting. You know, I think you mentioned about the Fernandinho Pep talk. I think you, you, at City, where the press box is, yeah. subs often sit nearby, don't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And wow. I have to say, how many of us here thought that Fernandinho was the shrinking violet, the quiet man of, yeah. of City's midfield? No, he's loud. He is exactly. seriously loud, isn't he? I was it's at the Dortmund game, I think. And then basically, you know, Jude Bellingham scores that goal and kind of we're all going, oh, kind of, you know, yeah. oh, that's a disgrace. It's all wrong. It's, you know, referees you know, got one, dropped one there sort of thing. And I, I still maintain it should have been goal. But he was up on his feet, rowing, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And saying, no, yeah. no, you know, he it's, a foul, it's a foul. Yeah. yeah he, he's imagine great. what he's like when he's on the pitch. When he's absolutely. He drives them on. He drives them on. He's been, he's been like Guardiola's right-hand man this, this, this season. And it'd yeah. be a big miss, but, you know, mm. that's the challenge. Replacing these players is difficult, but there are players out there. You've just got to get them. Hey, they, me and Jeremy were sat um, next to each other, well, two metres apart for the uh, game against Chelsea. Carl Walker was loud, wasn't he? Yeah. I mean, when they scored, he was up um, and twirling the shirts above his head. And of course, you know, <laughs> you know what also happens now with, with, with City because they're so because they're so close. When there's a contentious incident, they turn around and ask us what's happened because we've got a monitor, and then we relay it, and then he relays it to everyone else. So when Sterling was fouled about five times by Kurt Zuma there towards the end, he's turning around what we, and, and shouting towards, you know, will that get reviewed? Will it be a penalty? We're like, yeah, definitely, mate. Don't worry, that's a stone wall. And when they look at that, it'll be a penalty. Then of course it's not. And he's looking at us and saying, you know, what, what, what do you lads know? And like, it's like, uh, <laughs> it's, been, it's the closest it's I've been to a one on one interview with a city player for about 10 it, years. It, it is, isn't it? <laughs> it, it, it? We've had more it, 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 um, exchanges with, with them in that. And, and it's funny actually watching them all. It is, it is fascinating. You know, you see 
So to actually say Fernandino's quite animated. Carl Walker's always like, you know, a, a joke a minute. When Raheem's on the bench, he, he, well, he, he, he's obviously not taking that, that well. So it's a, no, no, it's good. But just going back to the signings, I think that game as well that, that we saw when he played Mendy on the left-hand side, I think that probably shows that that is one area that he will buy in. Yeah. So when you think if he plays a conventional um, four and then the left-back probably needs addressing because Zinchenko is, is good but probably more of a winger, and Mendy is just well. Is Mendy had a torrid time in that game? Um, oh, Rich James, James gave him a, yeah. a, a real torrid time. Pep hooked him off. So I think yes, two signings: one up front and one at left back, and they'll go again. Yeah, Mendy. Uh, I don't know. Lovely guy. Oh, he, he was, brilliant guy. And I have to say, what a what a terrific yeah player. Good player. He, but I'm, I'm, just, I'm you know sure what a position. player. Yeah, what potential there? But he's never really fulfilled it at City. Right. I mean, he used to yeah. win games on his own at Monaco. It's a great. It's a great yeah. shame, really. I thought. I thought it was going to be an absolutely sen- an absolute sensation. City. It's not really worked. I did want to touch on one area with you, Matt. That some of the headlines this morning about the. Um, about who might come into midfield if they look for a Fernandinho replacement. And Declan Rice fe- features quite oh. heavily in a few areas, doesn't it? Um, what do you think he's a good good, good fit? Is that a good potential signing, Matt, next step? <laughs> Champions League chasing West, West Ham might not sell, but what do you think? I, I think, I don't know, Declan Rice, I seem to swing from one extreme to the other. When he plays well in that West Ham team, you think, no, he's carrying that team. He's doing a fantastic job. But I don't know if he stands out sometimes because and that's normally when West Ham aren't doing as well as they've done this season. <laughs> yeah. Um, but whether he's actually... Uh, I watch it for England sometimes and I don't see him dominate the play like he would need to with City. And I, I don't know. Uh, then I look at his mate Mason Mount and how he exceeds expectation whenever they go out. And you think, well, if he's made of similar sort of stuff to that, he'll grow into that role. I don't think he's ready to replace Fernandinho now, but Mm. he could be one that Pep's got his eyes on to perhaps give him a year, get him a few games with City, um, play him a few times, get the idea of what he wants from from him exactly, who could, in the same way as Mason Mount's done everything that he's been asked to do, he could um, sort of grow into that sort of space, but uh, I don't know. It's such a key position that I think it's a big responsibility to pluck him from West Ham and expect him to basically be the vital cog in the heart of what could be the champions of Europe. Mm. He likes Basuma at Brighton as well, Crossy. Does he? Right. Yeah, I think they might have a dip for him. Yeah, he's a, he's a very mobile player, isn't he? He's, he's yeah. less of a... Less of a presence, shall we say? But I must say, he's, mm. he's, he impresses me every time I see him. His runs, his his work rate, his intelligence. It's very good, very good player. But uh, it's always difficult, isn't it? To kind of that's the art, isn't it? Mm. Which takes us back to it's not always about spending money no, no. Uh, of knowing whether a player whether a player can can sit in. I, I must say, we'll talk about we'll talk about sort of kind of you know sort of Man United Liverpool shortly, but. Can, you know, Klopp was adamant yesterday that Liverpool will get back next season and they'll challenge and he'll fight them again next year. What do we think, guys? Do we think that that, that is realistic? Are City going to be, you know, the team to beat for the next five years? Are they, you know, do, do, do teams dominate like that anymore? Can they dominate like that anymore? 
I think come August when the season starts again, not anyone sat around this table would tip Liverpool to win the title, do you? Mm. You've got to say City have, have set the bar high this season. Mm. Look, we all know the problems Liverpool have had and obviously getting players like Van Dijk, back Gomez, Henderson, they're going to be a different proposition. But, mm. you know, they have fallen way behind City this season for various reasons, not all their own fault, but, you know, the some of some of the some of the decisions they've made as a club have, have not helped matters. But I think, look, Liverpool next season, they'll be in the top four. I think they're sure they'll be in the top four, but I don't think they'll come close to challenging for the title. Yeah, yeah. Just, that just there when Jeremy mentions the problems. I mean, we must also say that you know Manchester City compared to say um, um, Liverpool. I've been remarkably blessed on the injury front. I want to say blessed, you know, maybe that's also testament to a fantastic medical department because, yep. you know, how many times can, can you imagine? I mean, it's almost unimaginable, unimaginable that Manchester City, you know, come the start of May, have a fully fit squad and they've got a hell of a squad, as we know. And, you know, Pepper's sat there saying, well, you know, no injuries in the squad, you know, a full 20 odd to pick from. Um, it's absolutely remarkable. Now, and, and, and that contrasts completely with what's happened at Liverpool. So bear in mind, you know, you're losing Van Dijk and then Gomez on top of that, Henderson for a large part of the season. You know, that has been a problem. And then once you get on a losing run or a run, whatever, it maybe affects you. Listen, I know it affects every single club in the Premier League. Um, so um, it's no excuse, but I'm certain that the Anfield, a full Anfield would have given them... A, a, a G up when they needed one. So I think there are, there are a lot of contributory factors to, to Liverpool's underachievement this season. Um, but it's a big challenge for them next season. Again, you wouldn't tip them, you know, to the top of City next season. And, you know, um, after the exertions of, of the previous three seasons, it's going to be hard to get back to that level that they were when they were getting 90 odd points in the season. It's going to well, also know. be a problem, Donny, if they're, in, if, if they're not in the Champions League and it's looking unlikely... When you look at the table, back in the hands, German. Back in the hands. If they're in the Europa League, you know, yes. that is that is going to be a, a ball breaker for, for for Klopp because you know how he's going to have to mo- re-motivate his players, and mm. you know those players are the they don't the sellers of this world don't want to mess around in the Europa League. They want to be in the Champions League. Oh, so no, no. it also affects the quality of play you can sign too. I know Liverpool I think are a massive club, but. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think you're right. I mean, our, our great friend Alan Chamberlain's been on the messages. Actually, we do look at the, but um, Alan never go down the media agenda. Really, honestly, well, we got a media he basically agenda. says he says it amazes me. He says that Man City lost the title last year because the narrative everyone gave was because Laporte was injured. Fast forward to this season, everyone says Liverpool lost the league because they've gone backwards, completely ignoring uh, the fact we lost all three main centre backs and many uh, from midfield feel for most of the season. Alan, I have no idea where you think that basically the, the notion that the media ignored the fact that Virgil van Dijk was injured. Where on earth have you got that from? I think it's <laughs> one of the biggest single stories of the whole campaign. And, so, and part sorry, that, Alan, we'll agree to a disagree on this one, pal. Part of that story was, Crossy, <laughs> they didn't replace him, did they? No! It's been, it's, been the biggest, it's been the biggest talking, one of the biggest talking points of the season, Alan. They signed Sorry. a defender from Preston. He's not played him. No, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know how long he was going to be out for. So yeah. come January, they could have, they shouldn't have signed him. Which just goes yeah. to prove that everyone who says about a media agenda is always coming from their own perception of the media. 
which is why I'm obsessed with media agendas. So because yes. I always, you know, I, I, I rarely agree with them. But anyway, guys, mm-hmm. let's everyone knows that I love the FA Cup and it is FA Cup final weekend uh, this uh, Saturday. And I cannot wait. I absolutely love the FA Cup. Love going to Wembley. Cannot wait. I think it's going to it got all the makings of a classic crashing, brilliant final um, between Chelsea and Leicester. Matt, you, you, we were together last night, uh, pal, weren't we, at Stamford Bridge, um, sat very close together. Um uh, two meters, obviously. Uh, I had the beauty of a TV screen, <laughs> um, and uh, for the replays, and then basically it, it was a surprise result last night, wasn't it? Is that bad news for Leicester? Yeah, unfortunately. Um, yeah, I don't think Tuchel's a sort. So he wasn't in the mood afterwards to be taking that one lightly, and uh, I think Chelsea will be right on it again on Saturday. Um, yeah, it was. Uh, It'd be interesting to see with the, with the Arsenal perspective. I mean, they were, unless I'm making no, no bones about it, they sort of lined up technically with a back four. Saka was all, was an auxiliary wing back. And then I thought it was a three, mate. I thought that was a three. Well, did you? Well, it was no. certainly a five at best. Oh, uh, mate, in the second half, played. it was a ten. But party, I was going to say he was part of it. It was a six mostly. <laughs> let's be honest. Yeah. They they parked the bus, and you know, yeah. I, I know they keep saying let's turn Arsenal back into the team they once were. I think they mean the George Graham team. Um, looking at it last, yeah, one nil to the Arsenal, uh, and I think Tuchel was absolutely right. Unless they'd absolutely virtually put a goal on the plate for them, I don't see how Arsenal were going to score. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, let's not get that right. They were off at Chelsea. Um, Arsenal nicked a goal uh, and then just about held out. Um, you know, two two slight chunks of woodwork in the last minute, etc. Um, but but no, Chelsea. That he, he didn't want it to be a wake up call. I think Tuchel said he got something wrong. Uh, he won't get anything wrong um, for the final. And uh, and I think uh, yeah, Leicester could be the ones that that suffer as a result. Yeah, just just quickly on that, Arteta was fuming afterwards, wasn't he? Absolutely fuming mm. about about sort of kind of you know reports in the media. And I have to say, for once, refreshingly, I wasn't on the naughty step, uh, which is which is wonderful to hear. Who's been putting was, words in his mouth then? Uh, well, um, name names, name names, far, far, far be it from me to suggest that actually it was a, uh, it was a. I think he saw a headline on the Sky uh, Sports website actually, mm. which uh, which basically said that it was along the line. His point was in his press conference was that basically it's his responsibility. And he judges himself on whether he's got the maximum out of his players, and he said. You know, he's asked about this again. Have you, you know, have you got the you know maximum amount of your players? Then, and and he said yes, he had, and he got the maximum amount the majority of those players. Now, I actually think that that's you know a bizarre, quite a bizarre thing in many ways to say in itself. And so I basically just reported that straight. I mean, that's that's the story, isn't it? Because has he got the maximum amount of his players? They've been mid-table all season mm. and finished, you know, without any silverware. Well, for me, that's quite, <laughs> that's, you know, that's revealing in itself. You don't need to twirl it. But I do think that basically other people <coughs> saw it as, you know, some players haven't produced their maximum this season, which I guess is a different interpretation of it. But that that really, that upset him afterwards. And, uh, you know, it was... Um, he was very, very monosyllabic. He was very uncooperative um, uh, afterwards. Really, he wasn't. He wasn't in a good place, Matt. Was he really? But uh, and, and an otherwise resilient, defiant, 
you know, performance, which, which I have to say, you can't have said many times about Arsenal uh, this season. It was bizarre. Not a great deal, no. I mean, yeah, he's... I, I'm just waiting. I'd like... He keeps telling us we've, we've made many improvements in many different areas. You sort of think, well, OK, name three. Their form since Boxing Day is impressive. I, have to say, I saw your tweet something yeah. about that earlier. It and, shocked uh, me, Matt. It shocked me. It's very well. good. Yeah. It's very easy to knock them. And you think, well, actually, have I missed something? Because they haven't. I know. I've been to a lot of those games and they've not looked like a team putting that sort of run together. But uh, and, and perhaps he is getting something right, but he really needs from, from the get-go next season to, to start demostrating mm. that, I think. Yeah. Crossy, how long do you think he's got as manager to, to try and prove that he's the right guy for the job? Look, I think... You know, I keep writing this. I think he goes into next season. I think they see it as a big summer. Um, look, with the big caveat, guys, On, on by the way, a lot of clubs will find it's difficult, I think, to offload players. And they need to offload players. You can't just sign players at, at a club like Arsenal and willy-nilly and just basically, you know, think, oh, you know, we'll... we'll We'll just keep the rest who can't play in the squad. It just doesn't work financially and doesn't make for a happy dressing room. I think, you know, they paid the price for that the first half of the season. Um, but I think that basically, so there'll be a shake-up. I think they're looking, if in an ideal world, they'd they bring in about four new faces and then basically go again, giving the tools to work with, if you, if you like. So I think it'll be interesting. And I think that basically he's got to start the season well. I think that basically, you know, if it's not going well by Christmas then I think you've got a judgment call to make because most damningly, I think that basically, you know, they've gone backwards this season in, in terms of league position, in terms of success, in terms of results, really. And, uh, you know, knocked out the, the, out the Europa League by his predecessor. That's not good, you know, because uh, I think, it, uh, you know, it's always going to be a difficult season, right? But I do think you need to, I think fans want to see improvement. That's the issue. But I think they're right to give him time. I think they, they're right to give him the opportunity. I think the one thing that sort of kind of frustrates, you know, a lot of fans that I speak to and a lot of people that I know is the style of football. It's just not, you mm. know, it's not, it's so formulaic. It's so methodical. I, I, you know, the great thing about Wenger was that basically produced, you know, freedom, and, you know, artistic players and sort of kind of, you know, it allowed you to, to dream a little bit and it was good to watch. And Did you, did you, you know, rate Wenger? Oh, he, had his, he had his moments, pal. He had his moments, you know. <laughs> I don't know. He's so yeah, good someone, someone, else as well. someone should do a book, you know. Here's a question yeah. for you. What would be an acceptable finish in the league for Arsenal next season? Next season. Hey, yeah. listen, there's no doubt about it that a hierarchy this season wanted to see him push for the top four this season. Mm. And they thought that basically they built a squad to do so. So the notion that they now, you know, have reached the giddy heights of eighth isn't good enough. What's acceptable? I think you have to say top you six, know, top six, but also Can't pushing for top four. four. Yeah. I mean, you've got to, you know. Mm. Honestly, I, I, I you know, we'll that go will back be to difficult, though, won't it? It will be difficult. That, we'll that go back to Chelsea in a second because we should do. But it's, mm. you know, I. I <laughs> I'll make this, listen, Arteta did well when he first arrived and he won the cup in his first season. And that's, that was a big achievement. But I, I, I'm sorry, but Chelsea's squad is, yeah, he's probably better than Arsenal's. But is it different level to Arsenal? I'm not so sure. I think Tuchel has got so much more out of his players in a short space of time with a 
you know, a lot of those players are of similar quality to Arsenal. And a lot of those Arsenal players have gone backwards this season. Well, he's not and reinvented that, the wheel at Chelsea, has he, Tuchel? He's just motivated them. He's, I've got to say, he is a breath of fresh air. I love that guy's energy so much. This week, in talking about Aubameyang and Aubameyang, he was amazed he didn't lose his driving licence, his, his crazy antics at Dortmund when they were together for two years. Oh, gold. It was absolute gold. You know, it was beautiful. And I just think Tuchel was just, just blowing me away. And that's positivity for you. And I just think that's great. And I have to say, I've become a massive Tuchel fan. And I do, you know, his, his, his humour, his hugs for his players, you know, it just is great. And I, I do think that it, it, it sets up a really, let's go back to the cup final because it sets up a really intriguing Wembley showpiece because Andy, it's, 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 you know, it's an amazing opportunity for Chelsea next few weeks, isn't it? If they win the FA Cup, finish top four, yeah. And then obviously in the Champions League final, wow. I mean, what a four months it's been for Tuchel, isn't it? Absolutely. But I will go back to the fact you mentioned the squad there. I do think it's a better squad than Arsenal. I think it's got better players in it than, than, than uh, Arsenal. No, I agree with got. that. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and again, without droning on about spending money, you know, this is a, this is a sad, you know, that you know, bought big last summer. You know, they, they bought big. You're Listen obsessed. It. You're obsessed. They paid a lot of money. No, I'm not obsessed. I'm just putting it out, you know. And, and as it happens, most of those signings, most of their recent signings, and the reason why they've done well under Tuchel is that most of those recent signings have now settled in and are now producing. So Werner, Zayek, Havertz, Chilwell, you know, these guys are, are are all playing well and they've all settled in. And that's why, you know, that, that's why they've got such a good squad. That's why they'll be favourites um, going into it. Yes, it could be a good couple of weeks for them. And I do think, you know, certainly the FA Cup final, you know, you would have to have them down as, as very, very, you know, warm favourites for that game. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, me and Jeremy were both at Man United versus Leicester. You know, and Leicester on the back of two very poor performances away at Southampton when Southampton were down to 10 for 18 minutes, was it? And the big defeat at home to Newcastle. And then at Old Trafford, you know, a crucial win. But, you know, boy, they made heavy weather of beating Man United reserves. You know, and that was a reserve team. Mm-hmm. And they really did. And, you know, in the end, scored a goal from the set piece to win it. But I don't think they're playing particularly well, Leicester City, at the moment. You know, he, he, he had Madison on the bench. The side lacked a bit of inspiration. Strangely enough, without Johnny Evans, they look vulnerable. You know, Sunshu scored the winner, but otherwise, other than that, you know, had a poor game. Um, I think Leicester at the moment, you know, despite that win at Old Trafford, are in a poor spell of form. And I think Chelsea must be, you know, um, you know, very, very warm favourites to, to win. And going back to Tuchel, he's done a fantastic job. He, he, but, he, you know, when he took the job, he, he probably couldn't believe. I'm not saying he had a free hit. But it was just a, you know a dream job, really. You're coming in with a fantastic squad that had underachieved under Frank, and that's you know he's made the best of it in a league that, other than Manchester City, the rest of them were were, were pretty much underperforming. But it, it was, you know, and, and that's you know it's listen. He said the right things this week, didn't he? He really did say the right things, saying you know a, a lot of this credit must go to Frank, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And obviously, at, most at of, least he gives him credit, Danny. At least well, I, I do credit. give him credit. I'm just, I, I, I give him credit, but I think it was, you know, we don't want to go back over that. But but basically, Tuchel inherited an extremely good squad of players, and he's got them performing as they should have been performing. Simple as that, really. Tell you yeah. what, as well, if he wins the FA Cup and the Champions League, has, has, have Chelsea had a better season than Man City? Hmm? It's, it's astonishing. They have, well, oh, City won the League and the League Cup. Two cool would, you the, would you rather yeah. win the Champions League and the FA Cup? 
I'd tell you, if Chelsea would not. And Chelsea would not. You'd have to buy vote for Frank as manager of the season. That'd be fantastic, wouldn't it? He could get a joint Laid the foundation. Laid the, laid the foundation. Laid yeah. the foundation. Hey, a Pochettino <laughs> could win the French Cup as well. because he's, well, yeah, he's not going to win the league, oh, is he? I mean, that's, so, that's another story, guys. So and, and another the cup final now, though, so that's... Yes, they are a big couple of weeks of Brendan Rodgers. Yeah, he did, he did, he did. He's he's honing in on his first trophy as a manager. I love love Poch. Our great friend Alan, you know, basically Alan Chamberlain's coming and saying we will have to agree to disagree then, John. Alan, I'll tell you where where you're right on the media agenda. There's certainly a media agenda in favour of Maurizio Pochettino. Let me (laughs) tell you, pal. No, always grateful for your comments, joking aside. But um, I, uh, you know... I do think it's it, 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 it's a really interesting one, isn't it? The way that it's sort of kind of it's panned out over over you know going to pan out over the next few weeks. I mean, you know, for for Chelsea, Matt, do you see any way that that Leicester can can win the FA Cup Saturday? That sounds uh, yeah, really dismissive. Play out like they did last night. Mm. Um, it's got to be a Chelsea off day, um, mm. and then you know Leicester. Playing like they can. I mean, when they do play well, it is great to watch. You know, when mm. yeah, I was there for the the, the famous nine nil at Southampton, uh, and I've not seen better football played anywhere in hailstones and whatever else it was. But yeah, so they can't. They're not getting it right. They're not a bad football team. Um, but but I just think Chelsea, are, are, when they're on their game, their job is to first of all spoil the other team, and I think they'll knock Leicester out of any sort of stride first of all, and then pick them off and. I can't see it going any other way, providing Chelsea are doing what they're, what they're told to do. It's ironic, yeah. really, because Leicester are above Chelsea in the table. Yes. Well, yeah, I was going exactly. to I was going to ask you about that, Jeremy, because yeah. honestly, I, 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 do feel as if, that, <laughs> I do feel as if. Hang on a minute. Rewind and sort of kind of say Leicester top four. Mm. If they finish top four and basically have reached the FA Cup from, they could win the FA Cup. Yeah. Brendan I think Rogers. it's a massive, what a massive an achievement. So they've got three games left this season, the FA Cup yeah. final, two league games. If if they can win the cup and finish in the top four, that that really is redemption for Rogers after what happened with Liverpool back in 2014, was it? Yeah. When when they obviously blew the title with the Gerard slip. He went to Scotland, we won a load of trophies with Chet Celtic, but you know, let's be honest, with respect to Celtic, they win everything every year, apart from this season, obviously. But yeah. So he's had to come back and, and, and repair his, you know, reputation because, mm. you know, they blew it last season, don't forget. Leicester, they, they should have yeah. finished in the top four last season. They had a horrendous finish after after restart in June. And, you know, they've shown signs of slipping again in recent weeks. They thought, like Dunny said, the form's not been great. They won in, they won in the week at United, but United had a second team out and... The issue is they're not scoring as many goals as they used to do. Vardy's got two goals since Christmas. Yeah, yeah. Madison's I mean, been injured. Obviously, that combination with Madison and Vardy was was lethal for Rodgers for a long time, but it's not the same anymore. So, it's a massive, massive couple of weeks for Brendan Rodgers because if he can win that, win the cup, and get them into the Champions League, that takes him up to that elite level of manager. Yeah. It takes him up. His reputation goes up a lot. Yeah, no, you, you you're right. I, I I do agree with you. Listen, it's it's. This week has been absolutely shrouded in controversy, isn't it? I mean, around largely around Manchester United. And one thing that's really sort of kind of caught my eye has been Solskjaer having a go at the Premier League and the authorities uh, for the scheduling of this game. Uh, other clubs then joining in saying how unfair it is on Manchester United. 
Are we not missing the point here? That if Man United had actually bothered to get some security in, then actually the game wouldn't have been had to have been rearranged. Oh, I'm, I said the exact same thing in my column on Sunday. I mean, it's just bonkers, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I just... but, but actually, John, the trouble is, it's not Manchester United being punished because they don't no. really give a monkey's the fact that they lost on on uh, Tuesday, whenever it was. Uh, it's West Ham who's been punished for that. It's Leicester. Yeah. So why are the other managers sympathising with Solskjaer? Because, because I'll tell you this, if there's one thing, Allardyce and Wenger both agree on this one thing, so if they both agree, it must be true, and that is that the key fixture, the key fixture gap is two days. You cannot play. Again, you could play even, I've heard them both say, you could even play back-to-back games. Um, you know, a day after each other, but it's two days down the line, which with the sports scientists will tell you, that's the key recovery day for players. You cannot put players through games 48 hours apart. That's that's what all the sports scientists tell mm. them. So for the Premier League to schedule fixtures, there should be a ban within, you know, with all the TV area. And we, we have to be flexible for the television because they pay £5 billion. Another £5 billion has gone in. There's a great deal for the Premier League today that's been announced. And it's right that the Premier League take that money because that's what helps make it such a great league. But there should be a rule in the Premier League that games are not, are not played 48 hours apart. Um, and it's as simple as that. There was room to read jig things a little bit, regardless of whose fault it was about the reason the Man United-Liverpool game was called off. And just avoid that gap. Three days apart, that happens throughout the season. Let's keep it to that. Let's not play games any sooner than that mm. uh, and get the season done. There's no reason to put that pressure on Manchester United. And other managers feel sorry for Solskjaer because they know in exactly the same boat yes. they have to do exactly the same thing. Mm. Yeah. But the point uh, is that... We, we've fought so hard in such difficult circumstances with coronavirus to try and maintain the integrity of the competition. Mm. And David Moyes was making this point that everyone was moaning about the integrity of the competition when the before restart last season uh, and we fought so hard to make it a fair finish to the season uh, and we fought so hard throughout all these really difficult circumstances and then for the Premier League to drop that on West Ham on Liverpool uh, and effectively not really punish United at all mm-hmm. it's just it's it's brainless because they could have done it so much better uh, uh, and you know dealt with a difficult situation better to how, everyone how, how by making by reshuffling the game you've got a two week window to play three four games spread them out a bit mm. you know pl- think pl- games pl- are being moved all over the place no one really minds that in these current pl- circumstances right yeah no exactly to worry about I've so, still not heard anyone <laughs> suggest an alternative date for that game when it could have been played then well, yes, there was. They could have moved the Liverpool-West Brom game from the Sunday, from next Sunday, but West Brom refused to move it, even though right. West Brom and our earlier, so West Brom refused to move it. Alternatively, why not play the game on the Tuesday after the season ends? Mm. Not that game, not Liverpool, but you could, you, you, you know, actually, yeah. although I would say, because United in the Europa League final, that's it. I mean, I mean that, that couldn't have happened, but you can move fixtures around mm. and you could have, as I say, it would have caused problems with United, but maybe... If the Liverpool West Brom fixture could have got moved, then the United could have got moved to Sunday. There was a, there was an alternative. 
and you find a way to do it. Mind you, mind you, know, they, they, they used to play Christmas Day and Boxing Day in the old days, you know, Matt, you know, consecutive days. Never thought of that. But weirdly, the sports scientists say that's better than playing two days apart. Yeah, well, and, and, but, but I, think, I think we agree that, uh, uh, and the reason, John, why the managers were, 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 you know, quite easy on Manchester United is because in the end they were given a, a fixture list and then they played, you know, whatever it was, eight, uh, four games in, four games in eight days. And even those of us who are, you know, sceptical about the need to rotate so much would say that, you know, it was obvious what he was going to do. And Klopp would have done the same. And, you know, it, and teams when they've got nothing to play for sometimes, you know. I mean, listen, Pep made nine changes for the game against Chelsea. And that had an influence on mm. the champion, on the race for Champions League places. It didn't particularly matter for Man City because they knew they were going to win the title anyway. Mm. But he made nine changes to, to his team. Solskjaer made mm. ten. And Chelsea won. So in a way, you know, Liverpool might have been looking at City's lineup or Leicester might have been looking at City's lineup and thought, hang on a minute, like, you know, I mean, the other argument is City's so strong they can do that. But I agree in terms of the punishment, you know, and then you think to yourself, well, what if, I don't know, you know, it, it was certainly not Liverpool's fault. You know, Liverpool basically had a wasted day, cooked up in a hotel somewhere, you know, trying to get a game played. And it wasn't there. And in the end, they ended up punished Twice, because really, he then plays the kids against mm. Leicester and will play a full-strength team, no doubt, against Liverpool tonight. So so they have got the... They really have sort of got the, the wrong end of the argument um, there. What else could have done, though? I mean, I, I don't know if they'd have punished, you know, would giving the game, would awarding the game to Liverpool have been punishment? You know, we all remember... And don't forget, we do remember there was a... I mean, the last deduction of points I can remember is when... Bora didn't pitch up for the game yeah, at Blackburn, was yeah, it? Yeah. And so yeah. they had a virus. I mean, that was in the, I don't know, 90s, whatever. They got, they got three points deduction for that. Three points. Oh, they, yeah, three points. They did it without permission, didn't they? That was it. That, yes. So you wonder, yeah. but I agree that it's Man United's fault. I mean, completely mm. their fault. And by the way, I'm not decrying and the fans here, guys, because I think that basically, I think they've got every right to protest. That's not my point. I think mm. that basically, I think that, you know, you have to make that statement very, very clear. You know, the United, fans were basically calling for a peaceful protest. They largely got that. And it was, you know, it was a protest at which, which frankly sent shockwaves. If the clubs didn't understand the hate of the Super League before, well, they certainly do now. And that's why that protest was so important. Please don't get me wrong. But I just feel that United handled that situation so yeah. badly. So please do not come back, Ole, mm. and start saying, you know, oh, this is a disgrace. Well, sorry, but come on, you know. Fundamentally, it all all comes back to the signing up of the Super League. You want to look at someone, you know, you want to look at someone to blame, blame the United owners for blaming, you know, for signing up the Super League and then the fans wouldn't have protested. It's only, you know, you go back to the root of all the evil and it's there. So, you know, I'm sorry. I just, I'm with you, Jeremy. I I, I I completely agree with the sentiment. I I completely agree with the sentiment of your uh, your colleague. but just just quickly, what 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 should the punishment have been for Man United if they are to blame? Well, any punishment? Listen, I I I you know I think that basically maybe they should have forfeited the game. Yeah, yeah, possibly. Yeah, in, in which case, no point is the There's no point finding. But, but yeah, in, in, in which case, if they forfeit yeah. the game, then you know Liverpool's rivals for a top four place, you know, would say, well, Liverpool have just been gifted three points by. By the protester, by the authorities, wouldn't they? You know, I, 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 I think the only thing that they could have done was try to find a way. I mean, punish United financially, punish them with maybe a points deduction next season. If you yeah, feel a points deduction is the most appropriate yeah. thing, then do that because points deduction wouldn't matter this season. 
So maybe next season. In the meantime, though, and it's like Matt says, the bottom line is they should have found a way, however it may have been, to make sure that Manchester United did not have to play three game, three Premier League games on, on Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday. And if yeah. that would have been forcing Liverpool West Brom game or West Brom Liverpool, it's at West Brom Liverpool this Sunday to be moved, then 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 so be it, you know. And and that and that should have been the situation. And once they did that, then you you're, you're right, John. They're, they're in a situation where not only were United not getting punished, but um, other teams were actually benefiting from um, uh, from well, well, Leicester in particular. Yeah, they were benefiting from what um, what happened on that Sunday. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I, you know, mm. I, as you say, I think you know you, the, the points deduction would have favoured Liverpool. What happened event, yeah. eventually favoured Leicester. I mean, you know, it's very, very difficult one to call. But I, I'm sorry, but it really grates with me to see Solskjaer kind of calling out that. Um, anyway, I'll just let's move on to the champion. Another big story this week has obviously been the Champions League final and the destination of that. <laughs> it does seem rather comical. All right, I'll lay my hands on the table here and basically say I actually think that if you want to set the right example, then I think actually sooner or later you have to say we can't really bend the rules if we want to be strict on quarantine. Because um, you remember the fallout of the Liverpool Atletico Madrid game? Yeah, we went over yeah. about we yeah. can't have it both ways, can we? You know, no. you really can't. So is 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 have we stumbled a, a, upon the right decision in the end? Because I think it's going to Porto, isn't it? So it's you know, I, is that the right call? Yeah, I think so. I mean, look, we would we, all of us would have obviously loved for the game to be at Wembley. Mm. You know, we don't have to jump on a plane. You just, you know, it's it's two English teams. It's a massive occasion, especially for English football. Wembley's a brilliant stadium, probably the best stadium in the world, arguably. Um, but the government probably feel like there, there is an issue here with um, double standards. Like you said, you referred to it, John. So um, it looks like we're all going to Porto. The main thing is fans can go to Porto and travel home and they don't have to quarantine. Mm. That's that's the big issue. So, you know, we'll hopefully see up to 12,000 fans in the stadium um, and it should be a great occasion. I mean, it's difficult for UEFA because, you know, obviously they've they've had to move it from Istanbul and it's a logistical nightmare, really. But, you know, if fans can get there and back without having too much yeah. trouble with the with yeah. the with the quarantine and other issues, then that, that has to be a positive outcome. If 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 if, if they would have left with Istanbul, I wouldn't have had many complaints about that. To be perfectly honest, you know, it's been scheduled to be in Istanbul, and okay, if fans can't get there, we know it's it, fans haven't been able to get in games. All season, it is a unique season. It would have been a shame, but you know, I wouldn't have had any qualms. But then, if they are going to move it, like they obviously are going to move it, then I would, I would have, you know, I would have hoped that it would have been at Villa Park, you know, um, and brought it over over here. Not Wembley. It shouldn't have been at Wembley because the playoffs are at Wembley, and and they, should, you know, they should have been inconvenienced. You know, yeah. we are talking about two teams who signed up for the Super League for goodness' sake. You want to bend over backwards to get them in at Wembley when when football league have got it. Um, so I wouldn't have done that, but I would have had them at Villa Park. And of course, the the, the thing is, UEFA who, who, who were you know um, held up as the, the 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 champions of the whole Super League row and for the stance they took and, and whatever. You know, the reason they wouldn't move it to somewhere like Villa Park is because they can't get. You know, or to England, is they they can't get their thousand dignitaries in or, or whatever. They're VIPs. Now that really shouldn't matter. You know, who would care if there wasn't a single VIP there? I remember yeah. you remember going to Champions League finals and there'd be a, a corridor for VIPs 
and then there'd be a corridor for VVIPs. Mm. I mean, I mean, no joke, you know, it was just it was just absolutely ridiculous. And we've seen them all. So, you know, if, if I had my way, you know, every single dignity, uh, you'd have a file going ahead, a sort of people's file if you want, you know, without any dignitary. So, so, so you play it for the park. Who else do you need to turn up to the game? You know, who else yeah. do you need? Do you need, you know, the entire UEFA, you know, committee from around Europe? Do you need the finance director or whatever on a jolly? And listen, Porto's great. Okay, fans can go there, but it's not ideal, is it? You know, fans, no. you, you try booking your flight to Porto this morning. Uh, you know, it'll be a grand minimum, I would have thought. Um, mm. And then you have to jump through hoops to get to Portugal, I would imagine. You no, know, it's going to Porto because I'd say, well, that's a real, that, that is a nice jolly for dignitaries. Yeah. Let's get it right. I mean, you know, lovely city. I mean, we all know that. Beautiful city. And just a quintessential UEFA destination that they found. Yeah. To yeah. satisfy broadcasters, it looks good as well, you know, sponsors, et cetera, et cetera. And that, to me, you know, if they're going to do that, they should just left from Istanbul. And, and then, you know, they're not doing this. They're not doing this just, you know, purely for fans, are they? Out the goodness of their hearts. Matt, no, have you ever been a VVIP? Um... Yes, I have actually. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. As a guest of someone, obviously, not on my own right. He has, um, only the P doesn't stand for person, but then they move on. No, I sat in one of the towers in the uh, in the Bernabeu, in the, uh, the opposite suite to, to the Ronaldo suite. It was a courtesy trip to, to watch uh, Real Madrid against PSG, so that felt fairly VVIP. Yeah. Um, what I'd say on this this one is, I think Sheffrin's really. Uh, and I know Jeremy's a big fan of of Sheffrin and fighting the fans' corner uh, and being on your side, but I think he's missing not He should have made it about the properly made it about the fans. The moment mm. Istanbul, mm. it had to move from Istanbul because as much as Andy says, yeah, you could leave it there. Lots of fans have missed out. It's a chance that the fans didn't have to miss out. So mm. given that they could move it, and I'm pleased that they have taken their head out of the sand and thought, no, we do have to move it, but. Uh, and it, it kind of grates a little bit that, that Boris Johnson goes on the back of a, a national newspaper and says, we'll bring it to Wembley, and on the front of a national paper says, we'll bring it to Wembley, and won't sit, and they can't thrash out a deal. Because the fact is, there's going to be up to 12,000 people going on a jolly halfway across the continent with no real controls, as opposed to a 1,000, say, VIPs, mm. VIPs coming in, having all been f- tested on arrival, Etc. Etc. Pretty much bust into Wembley, bust back out again. Mm-hmm. Um, as a global way of controlling a pandemic, which I think we still need to continue to take very seriously. Even though you know we've, we've there's got this gung ho mood about the country at the moment that we're coming out of lockdown, it seems wrong that twelve thousand fans are having to go halfway across the continent to go and watch a football match when they could just step to Wembley. By the way, the EFL won't be out of pocket on their oh. their their kindness. And where the EFL are at the moment, I think that it's very easy for them to see this as an opportunity to to raise some much needed funds mm. as opposed to an inconvenience for having to move the playoff final. That's how they would see that. So I don't think that's necessarily a lose for them. But yeah. No, sh- but where I think it's a lose, Matt, is with great respect. And I understand that with the EFL. You're talking obviously about mm. the knock-on effect of moving the you know the, the playoff finals, aren't you, to a different ground to mm. free up Wembley for the Champions League final, just to clear that up. But I, 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 see, I love what the EFL have done for the past mm. year, 18 months or so. I think some of the stuff out of that is, is fantastic. I massively disagree with the stance on the EFL 
on the, on the, with the, with the EFL stance on that on the playoffs. I I think we are absolutely overlooking the fact. And Danny touched on the other. Danny touched on this. Uh, honestly, they're not uh, a player wants to play at yeah. Wembley. You do, but I is mean, it about the players or is it about the fans? And no, clubs, Matt, no, clubs, Matt, you're missing the point. The money that totally. they want to you're missing the point totally. No, no, no. It's about the dream of football. It's about playing a playoff final at Wembley with the fans there because they would be allowed in some numbers, so you're denying them as well. You're denying the players the opportunity of playing at Wembley. Uh, I still regard as the greatest stadium in the world. Listen, I know, I know, you know, it's not in a in a physical sense, but it's still the you know still the the, the dream final you know it's dream venue for me, and I think it's a wonderful place. And you ask, say for example, it's it's I don't know randomly it's Bournemouth v Barnsley in the final. Are you telling me that the majority of those players are play, will, will get the chance to play at Wembley again or previously? You are denying them one of the highlights of their career in front of you know fans at Wembley. I'm sorry, but I massively disagreed with that stance. I think, you know, finance is sure and that's important, but I really, really disagree with that because I think that uh, one, of the highlights, one of the highlights of the football calendar is the playoffs at Wembley. No, the, the highlights of that is getting promoted. You ask no. any player who's been to a playoff final at Wembley and lost, I doubt they're sticking that in their scrapbook of memories. You, you want to get promoted. Of course you do. That's, that's the most, the that's the most obvious thing you'll ever say, Matt. Hey, uh, I want, I want right. to win a football match. Well, not it's not a football, football match. match. No, but this is the pri- the only this is the prize that lasts at least a season because you play at a higher level. Crossy. Um, <laughs> um, what you're, you're saying that basically a player wants to win a football match? Well, thanks. No, no, for no I'm saying that this is the biggest. I mean, prize. I mean this, come this on, life changer, change you from a championship player to a Premier League player. Yeah, yeah, you want to win a football match. Yeah, absolutely. And you want to do it at Wembley in front of fans. Anyway. Hey, hey, I've had an opportunity to play at Wembley. I had to turn it down. So have I. So, yeah, exactly. (laughs) So I know how it feels to miss out on that opportunity. But but even I'm saying that that this year of all years, it's about pragmatism and there is no money in football. And if the EFL, no, for those 22 players or however many substitutes you're going to throw in afterwards, yeah, it's Matt, a- you're overlooking the fact that fans will be at Wembley as well. Yeah, but they'd be at Villa Park or wherever they... They want to go play. to Wembley. I'm sure they do, but they want to watch their team play. <laughs> I don't think it's that... I, cool. I, I disagree. I really don't I disagree. think it's that I disagree. I disagree. I disagree. And those other fans that have to go to Portugal and infect the, the city of Porto and whatever, people carrying the disease across thousands of miles, potentially... Yeah, I'm not. Saying, I'm not saying don't move it to England. I'm saying I'm saying move it to England. Where else can you stadium. play? Because you have to play it somewhere that UEFA know about in this short period of time. Villa Park, yeah. everyone says that, but UEFA haven't been there since what 1982. No, no, no. I, I I get that. I get that. I get that. But I just find another stadium. Find another stadium. That, well, that Tottenham that Stadium. Tottenham, yeah, we're well, not going to give Leicester. The Leicester have held UEFA games this season. You know, Leicester's outside the big six that could could host it, but again, you're reducing the capacity then, aren't you? 
Mm, if they mended the roof at Old Trafford, they could have had it at Old Trafford. Oh, I mean, <laughs> still how, you the how, one how comical is that? How comical <laughs> is that? You know, people didn't see that. Uh, basically, you know, the press box was rained upon. And I'm not saying hard hard press. Uh, please don't get me wrong, because yeah. there was there's fans there. It's a leaking, decrepit old stadium. If you want, you know, if you want another reason why, you know, Man United fans are upset and then protested and oh. so, you know, and deserve you know, respect and, and admiration for doing so. It's the state of Old Trafford, which was which is still entitled the Theatre of Dreams and it's got a leaky roof. I mean, oh, it's, it's got a leaky roof. But I mean, so what, 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 is it just because Spurs have got some whiz-bang new stadium? What do you want there? So outlets for all sorts of like, you know, um, food and drink and whatever. It's not in the greatest state of, re- of repair in parts, but it's still a fantastic stadium. In parts? Oh, come on, for goodness sake, some of the best stadiums in the world haven't even got a roof. I mean, like, you know, I mean, the fact of the matter is, is that we're now looking for, you know, what, 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 just because they don't serve pints upside down, it's falling apart or something, you know, just because mm. you sun us down at Tottenham You think down the tunnel? <laughs> Sorry, no. I, th- I think the first requirement of any stadium in Manchester is must be rainproof. We have to watch what football in, in, in nice weather. What do you want? Central heating or something? It's a game of football, yeah. mate. You wrap yeah. up, you get a cup of bother, and you watch the game. You took it to the roof. I like to play all games at Wembley. Honestly, blimey, you guys, you should remember what stadiums were like. Oh, don't! And, that, and now it's like, oh, oh, look at the state of their their grand. It, it hasn't got you know live folk singers in this concourse. What's happening there? Remember what the old Wembley used to be like exactly. when before that got knocked down. Exactly. Absolutely, absolutely. Right. Anyway, talking about Wembley, we're yes. going to do our final section, please, uh, which is your best FA Cup final memory or your best FA Cup final. You can choose either. Um, Jeremy, let's start with you. Ooh, uh, well, uh, my best FA Cup final memory is, you'll like this one, Crossy. I can't mm. remember what year it was. You'll know. Um, it was the Alan Sunderland FA Cup final. Oh, no. When he scored the winner for Arsenal. Oh, I mean, yeah. I was a young kid then, and it, that was the game that I thought, crikey, this, this FA Cup business is special. Mm. It was a great game. Yeah. Man United, 3-2, yeah. was it? Yeah, Arsenal won 3-2. And Arsenal United. won 2-0 yes. until the dying stages. United got it back to 2-2, two, two, didn't they? Yeah, no, I really... That that sticks in my... All these years on that sticks in my memory. But the other standout memory is when, um, obviously, Wimbledon beat Liverpool. Not because they beat... Well, partly because of Billy Buck, but from Vinnie Jones's tackle on Steve McMahon in the first... Oh, yeah. Yes. Yes. That was like, holy cow. That was... He properly flattened him. And obviously, yeah. they went on to beat them. And they just psyched Liverpool out in the first... From the first kickoff. Yeah. So that's that's that always stands out in my memory. Well. Yeah. Magic days, Matt. Why? Why? I'm gonna go for an FA Cup final memory, uh, and not one of my own. We were doing a, a preview with Sam Allardyce of Blackburn against Coventry, uh, an FA Cup match, and he said Coventry said is interesting. He said uh, right at the end of my career, I played for Coventry for a year, and uh, and he said it was uh, it was terrible. At the end of the season, at the end of my one year that I spent there. I thought I'd done pretty well. I'm going to get another contract. I got called into the training ground and, and went in expecting to sign a new extension for a year. And he said, instead, it was really, I got a handshake and handing me boots in a black carrier bag and told that was it. <laughs> he said, and the, you know, the galling thing was the following year, 
in May, I was sat watching the cup final and it was the year Coventry beat Spurs. I'm sat there with, I'll be honest, there were a few cans of lager in front of me sitting there and I'm yeah. thinking all the time, that should be me out there. I've never had a big showpiece. That should be me playing in that game. Mm. And we thought, this is gold for this for the preview. Yeah. Until we checked. Didn't play for Coventry. He played for Coventry, but he left them in 1984, three years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so many of them, isn't it? You, you go on, you're just about to ring the desk. I just better check that before I ring yeah. this through to the desk. I think, oh, we're going to have to change this slide. <laughs> but yeah, that was that was the, my my favourite FA Cup memory, yeah. albeit slightly wonky. Yeah, do you know what? I think the eighty. I think you touched on something. The eighty-seven final was such a great game, wasn't it? I, I can almost relate it to uh, Chelsea Leicester this weekend because Tottenham were such hot favourites, weren't they? They were yes. playing brilliant football all season, and you know they'd had a great year, and they obviously lost in the in the in the semi final, the League Cup mm. to, to Arsenal, but then basically reached the reached the final. David Pleat, one of my favourite men in football, he really is, you know, had produced and built such an attacking, exciting team that year. Everyone thought that Spurs were absolutely stitched on, and 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 frankly, you know, without wanting to demean, you know, Leicester, but Coventry were Leicester, yeah. And yeah. then basically, you know, I thought it was one of the classic games. I actually watched it with a couple of my uh, Spurs supporting mates, actually, and uh, yeah, yeah, That's they didn't, they, they, they didn't, they didn't <laughs> finish the day very happy. You mentioned uh, demeaned Coventry and Leicester in one one foul swoop there, Crossy. Yeah, sorry. exactly. You mean both Coventry and Leicester there in one foul swoop? Oh, sorry, sh- sorry, sorry. <laughs> offended, always offend people. No, it's a brilliant final. So, was it the Houchin header? This, yeah, yeah. You don't see goals like that anymore, do you? When he's yeah. sort of falling, diving header. You know, when yeah. was the last time we saw Cavani is sort of doing his best to bring the diving header back into into yeah. fashion? In he's he's like retro. But I remember that. And I used to watch Keith Houchin at York when I was right. at university there. Houchin was playing for York, and 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 yeah, it was it was a great final. It's strange enough, though, you know, John, some of the best finals I, I, I've I've watched in. Well, covering finals, strange with the Millennium Stadium, a couple of great finals there. Um, the West Ham Liverpool one was an absolute classic. You imagine the press box there was mm. was in uproar <laughs> when um, when West Ham were, were looking like they might win, and then it went back. But listen, I have to give you my. Was anyone at was anyone at the '94 final? Which um, Man United no. Chelsea over? No, none of you were. Oh, lads, that's my best memory. The two of our brethren were fighting in the press box. I mean, absolutely <laughs> magnificent. Sausage roll. Yeah, no, no, no. One was a, I won't name them, but one was a sports editor and one was, a, was the correspondent for a very um, high profile agency. One was a Man U fan and one was a Chelsea fan. And when the Man U fan, when the fourth went in, I can't remember who scored the fourth. Cantona got two. Um, who else scored? I can't I remember, but. Did Solskjaer score? Was, I thought Wilkins scored that day, didn't he? Did he? I'm not Anyway, we basically yeah. went the fourth went in. And the Man United... And by the way, this is late on the game. The Man United fan is celebrating who's the sports editor. So the Chelsea fan is these guys. Nuts him. Like, you know, so the next minute all kicks off. And that was my first cup final I covered. My first ever cup final I covered in 1994. I think, what's this all about? And the fans are turning around. So the old Bill then piling. 
And they get carted off. And of course, you know, the mobile phones were, I'm not sure whether they were around or they were certainly scarce at the time. And these lads, so their phones are ringing. I'm answering the phone. And, 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 and someone hoping to give over, you know, saying, we haven't got the ratings for Man United. I'm like, he's in a cop van outside. They get to the station, you're only allowed one call. He had to call in to phone the ratings for Chelsea's back four. He and, didn't. He did. He made his one call from his... Yeah, from and and you know who these guys are, obviously. And, and it, I, I was absolutely brilliant. No. And that, was, that was probably my most most memorable. We don't often see a bit of fisting cuffs in the press box, but, you know, emotions were running high. And, I, and I've told you about the other one before on a previous tale, which was when, was a few years later, when um, when Borough played United. And uh, yeah. a great, great friend of mine was playing in his first FA Cup final, uh, Craig Hignett, and I was covering the game, but, but also I had a great affinity with him. And, you know, I was really pleased to have known him since we were young lads, made all you for him, whatever. And, of course, um, oh, sorry, Middlesbrough Chelsea, wasn't it? And yeah. Di Matteo scores after 30 seconds. 30 seconds. And my mate was marking him. And it's all, and so I was gutted for him. And then I've told you one before from that night, and I was gutted for him, disappointed, left Wembley, gave this guy a lift home I've never heard of before, bank manager from Manchester who told me Cantona's win. Didn't believe him, and that was another great FA Cup final weekend. But yeah, they would say it's it's always been good to me, Wembley. So uh, oh, looking to Saturday's how much anyway. are you looking forward to the final cross on a scale of one oh, to ten? Oh god, I so am. I so am. I so love the FA Cup. I genuinely do. It's not as good as it used to be, though. I'll tell you what. I mean, no, I think five fifteen, five fifteen, and the five thirty kick off. It's got to be three o'clock. It was great. Three o'clock. Give us some tradition, please. Do you know what? I mean, I don't want to. You know, go back to the old. Do you remember when? I'm not saying like all journalists are fighting and and socialising, but do you remember? It used to be great, didn't it? We used to always have the our football of the year dinner on the Thursday night before the FA Cup final at Wembley. Yeah, and then all us. Northern Oaks would come down, we'd, we'd go to the, the, the football oh, writers in the Thursday night and work on Friday doing a preview, maybe have a little bit of a, a late lunch and then cup final the next day. It was the best three days. It was fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's fantastic, actually. Great memories, great memories. I love the FA Cup. Oh, can't wait, can't wait. Guys, thanks so much. It's been really, really good to see you. It's a lively debate as ever. Agreements, <laughs> disagreements, but it's all part of it, isn't it? But um, but no, thanks so much to everyone for watching and uh, and, and nice to see you all. So um, yeah, we'll reconvene same, pl- same place, same time next week. Thank you very much. Thank you.